Hello, and welcome to Festival of the Mind. In this episode, artist Paul Evans discusses Life Game, his collaboration with filmmaker John Harrison and researchers from Professor David Edwards' research group, creating a series of future eulogies to endangered species. We're going to start with a short eulogy by Maria Wang. I'm sure you'll find this beautiful. I hope you find it moving. My name is Troyongye, the giant ibis, the national bird of Cambodia. We used to be many and lived from Thailand to Vietnam. Now I'm one of the few left, only found in northern Cambodia. I am the only member of my genus, a survivor of 38 million years of unique evolutionary heritage. How grand we were with our three foot long bodies, nine inch long beaks, and piercing dark red eyes. How I miss the times of old where my family and I would swoop through the landscape looking for swampy clearings, ponds, and rivers where we would feast on insects in these ponds full of life, our calls echoing through the forest. We lived together in harmony with people for centuries. People created ancient ponds and kept them open. They sang about us in their folk songs. Our loud ringing calls were entwined with farmers' lives, signaling that it was time to go to the fields. They saw us as intelligent birds. Indeed, we've never returned to the places where we've nearly been hunted down before. My partner and I would sing duets in the crisp dawn air. No wonder the traditional commerce stories say that the giant ibis call signals the introduction of love. But then, within a decade or two, cars and planes took over the planet and the tourists for more raw material to make tires and to roll in the cash meant that large swaths of forests were converted to monoculture rubber plantations. We lost our trees, our nests, our breeding grounds. Now, will we remain a living symbol of Cambodia? Or will we remain only as a memory, the great bird sung about in folk songs and folk tales? about the meaning of love and the life of farmers past. What you have just heard is one of five eulogies that have been written and performed by researchers, conservation scientists from Edwards Lab, Professor David Edwards's research group at the University of Sheffield Department of Animal and Plant Scientists. It's been written and performed by Maria Wang. These eulogies are testaments to animals that are not yet extinct, but might well be if we do not address the issues that are causing mass extinction on this planet. At present, they're a sort of dystopian science fiction, if you will, 
but a fiction that's all too quickly accelerating in its trajectory towards fact. It seems like quite a long time ago that the idea occurred to me. The intention was twofold. I wanted to try to harness a kind of grief that I feel very acutely about this great, great loss. And secondly, to foreground young researchers that are often unseen or unheard. As the writer Donna Haraway writes in her recent book, Staying with Trouble, Making Kin in the Cthulhu Scene. Grief is a path to understanding entangled shared living and dying. Human beings must grieve with because we are in and of this fabric of undoing. Without sustained remembrance, we cannot learn to live with ghosts and so cannot think. When I had this idea, I had no inkling of how beautiful and poignant these eulogies would be. Remember, these researchers, Rob, Maria, Cindy, Jan and Oscar, are scientists. They're not creative writers, they're not poets. But they do speak beautifully about all these layers of interconnection that exist between ourselves and other, other species. Maria just now was talking about the cultural intertwining between the giant ibis and the Khmer people that celebrate these birds in their poetry. In this next eulogy, which announces itself as a eulogy from the start, Yayan talks about the connection between birds learning songs and humans learning speech, an intimate connection at a neurological level. We come together on this very sad occasion to bid farewell to the straw-headed bulbul. Just a few short decades ago, this nightingale of the rainforest was common to many regions from the Malay Peninsula to Borneo. Its decline was precipitous. We all remember its beautiful haunting song, but it was this voice that led to the bulbul's heartbreaking demise. It was not enough for this rich, melodious song to be heard in the lush rainforests where these birds once lived. People seem consumed by the desire to cage them, to have this song close at hand, to own it. As a result, trade in these songbirds caused population reductions across the species range, a major barrier to its conservation. Trapping then intensified owing to the spread of logging roads across the forest. And then came the loss of vital habitat due to the expansion of palm oil plantation. All of these factors managed to drive the species to endangerment and then extinction. The straw-headed bulbuls were raised in an untidy nest of interwoven vegetation, placed in vines or ferns above the ground. Each nest contained only two precious eggs. An extended family sometimes cooperated in nurturing bulbul chicks in their upbringing, like human aunts or uncles. Pairs of straw-headed bulbuls would sing duets each taking up a different part of the same song and seem to do so effortlessly. This interplay of melodies resonates strongly with us as bulbuls learn songs in the same way as humans learn speech, an intimate connection at the neurological level. We may never fully understand the meaning of the bulbul song, especially from the scant recordings that remain, 
but we know it was necessary for the baubles to establish territories and attract mates. For us, this song was a gift, freely given, and yet our species chose to punish the birds for that gift by depriving them of their freedom, their place to live, and ultimately, their existence. Silent Spring by Rachel Carson was published in September 1962, at the beginning of autumn, 60 years ago at the time of this recording. This seminal book describes environmental harm caused by pesticides. It has been described by Sir David Attenborough as probably the most significant book for science since Darwin's The Origin of Species. In 1962, she wrote, Over increasingly large areas of the United States, spring now comes unheralded by the return of the birds and the early mornings are strangely quiet, where once they were filled with the beauty of birdsong. And the following words which resonate just as powerfully 60 years on. We stand now where two roads diverge. But unlike the roads in Robert Frost's familiar poem, they are not equally fair. The road we have long been travelling is deceptively easy, a smooth superhighway on which we progress with great speed, but at its end lies disaster. The other fork of the road, the one less travelled by, offers our last, our only chance to reach a destination that assures the preservation of the earth. For me, this connection with the animal kingdom began as long ago as I can remember and took two forms. The first was through a series of pets, companion animals, that my father brought into the home. A tortoise, a goldfish, various dogs, including a fine Doberman pincer that he named with characteristic wit that amuses me to this day, Satan. My father died when I was very young, about eight years old and I've been living with that very human grief all my life. I think right now that grief has only been amplified by the mass extinction that surrounds us. The second conscious intermeshing with the animal kingdom came into my eyes and ears through the television. Animal Magic, a strange sort of zoo series with anthropomorphic voiceovers of animals expressing human thoughts and emotions by Johnny Morris, and more seriously, the BBC wildlife programmes of David Attenborough. I found these programmes utterly absorbing and drank in every beautiful, strange and fascinating image, every sound, every fact. Then came the Gerald Durrell books, starting with my family and other animals, and the James Herriot books too. Fascination fused with amusement and delight. The animals became central to my interests, their beauty and charm an escape from the grey dullness of my small town post-industrial surroundings in Walsall, also an escape from ever-present grief. It was the later Durrell books that alerted me to conservation efforts to preserve endangered species. Catch Me a Colobus was the name of the book, and we went on a sort of pilgrimage 
to Jersey to visit his zoo where various animals were kept. Uh, not only to, to look at and to marvel at, but also in an effort to preserve them from dangers that existed in the wild. I decided I want to be a vet or a biologist. I studied biology at school. Then, in a kind of twist of fate, I ended up studying philosophy at the University of Sheffield, which began my journey to get to this point. It's a bit of a long journey, so we'll maybe leave that for another time. As I grew older, I continued to avidly watch David Attenborough documentaries. I got involved in Friends of the Earth in Walsall, and in the sixth form, I helped set up a branch in my local town. In the 80s, I was involved in a series of direct actions for Greenpeace with the climber Joe Simpson, abseiling off Clifton Suspension Bridge in an effort to draw attention to the pollution that was taking place in the rivers and the seas. By now, the David Attenborough programmes were becoming increasingly disturbing and saddening. They were, they were like horror films showing devastation and death. Attenborough, it appeared, had also basically got off the fence and started to become more kind of politically active, I guess, in promoting the conservation of species. My route had taken me via graphic design to become an artist. And one of the first things I did as an artist was a series of commissions for the Festival of the Mind, the first working with Professor Tim Burkhead on a fascinating project that revolved around a response to ornithology and bird life. Since then, I've worked with a number of scientists on projects that I hope will have some kind of positive impact on the world, including the Virtual Arc, working with the Frozen Arc Biobank to develop a kind of virtual reality experience in which people can engage with endangered species. The endangered species represented in this case by models that, that have been created by young people from primary schools around the country. Evidently the situation is becoming increasingly desperate. Subspecies and whole species are disappearing off the face of the planet. There have been dramatic and frightening declines in bird and insect populations. This complex weave that supports life is actually falling apart. The species that distribute the seeds that keep the forests alive that Cindy refers to in the next eulogy are kind of dying out, disappearing. And as you'll hear in this recording, the beautiful sounds that these animals make are gradually becoming more and more silent. As Cindy says, the silence will be deafening. You were a social species, living in small family groups, up high at the tops of the trees in the rainforest of Borneo. Your long slender limbs made you elegant dancers as you moved through the trees with speed and grace, swinging from branch to branch. Your favorite food? Ripe fruits, young leaves, and small insects. Always the benevolent spirit, you dispersed so many important seeds helping the forest regrow and continue to thrive. 
You lived in peace in the rainforest until humans decided to keep you as pets and destroy your forest home. Your babies were taken away, one by one. There were no more treetops to live on, nothing left to eat, and nowhere else to go. Now who will help the forest regrow? You never liked being on the forest floor. It was easier to defend your territory from the top with your beautiful song. I remember the first time I heard you in the Bornean rainforest. It was at the break of dawn, a song so hauntingly beautiful that I first thought you were a large bird. Your song could be heard kilometers away, echoing through the landscape. You were always so elusive, up high in the treetops, difficult to catch even a glimpse of. But your song was always a welcome reassurance that you were there. Now the silence is deafening, a constant reminder of what the world has lost forever. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe. We'd love to hear your thoughts and responses on social media. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. <laughs>